This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Voki, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Jay Johnson is probably best known for his appearances on the Troutbum Diaries, Geobass, and most recently on the Fish or Die series on Animal Planet. Jay has a complex story, which he shares during this heartwarming episode. Be sure to also check out my new podcast, Into the Backing, where I sit down in a roundtable forum to hash out some of the outdoor industry's most controversial topics. There's a new episode dropping this week, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. This episode of Anchored is brought to you by Cross Current Insurance Group. Cross Current Insurance has asked me to remind everyone that fishing and travel can wait while we let our hospitals get caught up and our new normal start to take shape. Cross Current will be here for you when that time comes, and they ask that you take this time to focus on keeping your friends, families, and communities safe. You can learn more about Cross Current and their fishing specific coverage at flyfishinginsurance.com. We're going to start where we start with everybody. Okay. So where were you born and raised? Well, a little town called Battleground, Washington. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. it's. I think it's the kind of town. I mean, I, I'm very thankful. I was the darkest kid, So, and I was the poorest kid. You're so unique looking. What are you? like? What, what's your background? My my father said I was homo superior, <laughs> So, which apparently is half Filipino, half Swede, a little bit of Norway, a little bit of Dane in me. And I take it, I mean, that, I think that that kind of stuff has defined me. Like, that that I'm, you know, uh, anyway, I've been, I've been looking back at that stuff, and I think it's pretty cool to have, you know, where your bloodline comes from and, like, how we evolved to. Did you know Filipinos can drink salt water? Because we, we, we evolved on islands. Did not. Can you drink salt water? I could, well, I drink salt. So, so, I'm just, I'm totally messing with you. Okay. I, was, I was put that on there. Anyway, yeah, so, so. Oh yeah, battleground Washington. I'm I'm a, I'm a very very scattered person. You've known me long enough that you know that I'm very scattered. That always, is all I right. Apologize every time. Because, <laughs> I'll keep you on track. That's my job. Yeah, yeah. If you can, we got I'll this. Do my best. I'll but you've got best. these beautiful light eyes. Oh, thank you. So that's from the Swedish side. I'd imagine. Yeah. So I your mean, dad was he? If is he Filipino? Swede. And your mom is. Yeah, okay. she was Filipino. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, just lost them recently. Well, I just lost my my mom recently. Uh, very interesting story, but a long one. Oh my god, I'm sorry. When? Oh, a couple months ago. Oh Jesus, yeah, are crazy. you? I'm really sorry. I I did not know that. It was brutal because I like I didn't know her growing up because I grew up in like group homes and foster homes and stuff, and so I didn't really know her. And then all of a sudden, 
I get this email or I get a Facebook message, which I never do Facebook messages. I got a Facebook message from, from her nurse and she's like, I'm looking, looking your our mom's looking for, it's, it's been crazy. It's been a very wild ride. Like, and I say that every year, but like this year has been crazy, but cool, but cool. Like it, I got, I went down and saw her and like got to know her and like, she got to know me. She like, didn't believe anything that I've done in my life. Cause if I, if you just, if you just tell someone you don't know, like, you know, I made a living doing karaoke for a while, or I traveled to Botswana to find something, or I've been working on a project in Nepal, or, well, you know, you tell them these things, you know, I got a TV show, this kind of stuff, and you don't know the lady. She's like, she's forever thinking I was just full of it, you know? And then she found out that I wasn't, she became, like, so proud and, like, like understood. She understood me. She got to watch a, she got to watch one of the episodes before she passed, you know? So that was cool. Did she give you up for adoption? No, she split. You know, it was it, it's a really heavy story. My dad did nine tours in Vietnam, and that really, really messed him up. And so when he had us, he married a Filipino girl in the Philippines, and they moved here. And then, you know, my dad tried to kill my mom. And so that's it's pretty heavy in front of a little kid. Yeah, I was four years old or something like that. At that time, my mom put us in a car, and we drove to Fort Worth, Texas, where we had some family from the Philippines over there. Filipinos and families are um, of the most importance. So we we lived there for a couple of years, and I got to visit my dad, and then went to my, went to see my dad, and never saw her again. And my dad, like I don't know if he broke. I, I like to think that he had a plan to like make me the ultimate survivalist because he was that way, you know. But he raised me without electricity, water, or a phone, and so you know that put a lot of hood rat in me, which I'll respect for like the rest of my days, or like it's part of me, you know. But but also it's like giving me these opportunities to like be able to handle some really stressful situations and it's a gnarly situation, and and then and eventually teach me the lessons that I'm going to learn. It's cool. I mean, I don't look back at it like it was a bad thing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's just brutal. It's just it was tough because you know the group homes and stuff. Since I got in the group homes, like everybody I was in a group home with is in jail or do, dead. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I got two sisters. Were they able to come with you? One of them came, one of them graduated without electricity. Imagine my other sister Lee is like, she's my hero, but she graduated valedictorian from her high school and got a full ride to the University of Washington. With no, you know, she, she's doing a homework by candlelight, you know, in a very stressful situation, you know. So she's badass, so she was always like, or she just led me in really positive ways, you know. So, yeah, so we, eventually we got into a foster home and you know, I've been very fortunate in people that are are willing to love me, you know. It's been a tough month. <laughs> it's so hard. I'm sorry. I'm making it. I'm servicing it. No, it's. But it's real. It's what it is, you know. Yeah. Just. Are just your sisters still around? Yeah. 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 I just saw the 50th birthday. We went back to Washington and I uh, saw my nephews. Anyway. Yeah. What? It was it was sweet. How old are you, Jay? 43. No shit. Yeah. Ain't getting no younger. <laughs> it's getting... I'm starting to... I'm starting to think that I should start to think about the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jeez, you've had an interesting ride. Well, let's, let's plug through it. When did you start fishing? How did you start fishing? Well, you know, when, when, uh, when I was a kid, my dad would leave like two bucks in the cupboard every day. And we would save that up and buy a bag of rice. And then we would use that next two bucks to like buy a pound of hot dogs or hamburger and then we'd fry rice every night for and lunch and, and breakfast so that was like our food intake but every once in a while we'd have enough hot dogs for the next day and so my sister would split it with us but i would get the least because i was the youngest you know so they would get like 75 cents they would get 75 cents and i would get 50 cents. And i would save that shit up and and there was like a a plano tackle box at, at the local hardware store in Battleground. And it was, I remember it was $9. And I saved up 50 cents at a time to buy $9. Sometimes I would say, we would be like, okay, we're going to buy chips and shit like that for two bucks. You know, we're going to split two bucks and everybody's going to get their stuff. And I would just save and I wouldn't eat. And so I could get that tackle box and then, and a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> and, but first it was that tackle box. And then I started raiding my dad's tackle box. I'd never been fishing before in my life. I was uh, like, but he was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Yeah. Is he still around? No. Oh, he's gone. I'm yeah, sorry. he passed. Okay. No, it's just what it is. It's what it is. He, he, I think he did a bang up job considering the cards he got dealt. If I got dealt his cards, uh, I, I, I make couldn't it work. pull it through. I think I would. You'd make it work. But okay, so he fished. So yeah, we went fishing like twice, and we went out to this this lake, and and 
he like we didn't really know each other. It wasn't like we hung out or like had dinner together or anything like that. It was like he was building crazy machines and I was playing in the creek back in the backyard, you know. So anyway, um, he took me fishing once and he didn't even he didn't like we don't we don't eat it. We eat rice and 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 hamburger or hot dogs. And we went to the concession stand. I was like, this is such a big deal, dude. This is like, this is a big deal in my life. Like, we're, I'm going to eat something else, you know? And he ordered for me. He got two hot dogs. He put mustard. I hated mustard. <laughs> I was like, and that's when I realized, man, we don't really know each other at all. Like, we don't have any idea who each other are. I was a little kid, so I wasn't getting too deep on the thought, you know? But uh, a fish, you know, he rigged it all up, and a fish hit my bobber, and I, I freaked out. I was like, like, I can't do that. It was a monster, you know? Like, I know everybody says it was a monster, but I'm pretty positive. Like, if I saw it today, I'd be like, dude, <laughs> like, what the, <laughs> you know, but anyway, it made me take it or he made me, he made me fight it. And then and we went fishing like maybe twice and I was stealing all of his lures because there was a creek in the backyard and we like, anyway, we, we catch crawdads and like little tiny steelhead smoke, probably a tributary of the East Fork Lewis. I mean, that's where that creek is where, what made me connect. Like, like you have, you had a time when you connected with the outdoors where you were like, you know, all the little things. And that's what I kind of, that's kind of what I tell the kids now is like, make them make the death connection. It's like when you, when you nurture something, it grows and it gets a little better. When you're hard on something, it dies and it gets worse. And that little connection, once they make, like make that little magic connection in, in the wild world, then they want to participate a little bit. It gives them interest. To, I mean, I hope, I hope, or, or, or I'm wrong and I've wasted my whole life. It might, it <laughs> might even be one of the first lessons in having a little bit of power. Yeah, sure, yeah, for sure. Good. What was high school like for you? I was a musician, and so I was a comic book artist. And that, 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 the first thing that saved my life was comic book artist because I was getting, you know, in, in, in the group homes and foster home stuff, not, the, not my foster home, but the group home stuff, like the difficulty of getting um, any sort of love is it's, it's too difficult. But what I found is if you did stuff well, like applied everything you had to it and like just went for it, People would be, people would love you, you know, like people. And you got would, words of affirmation. Yeah, which was very valuable as a kid. That just like is so lost, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm finding comic book drawing, or I'm finding, you know, drawing comic books and music. That's, I mean, I, I hate to put all comic book artists and music in the same in the same sleeping bag of, of of doom, but like, for a kid like me, it spoke straight to my soul. And 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 like, if I practice and work together, and that's that's something my dad passed is like. Whatever you do, do it better than everyone else. Give all you have to it, you know. An interesting little lesson. Well, anyway. When did you leave? When did, did, like, did you get taken from your dad's care? Yeah, I was summer of my sixth grade year. That's a hard age. Dude, it was brutal. Why did they take you? Because, uh, well, I went up swimming at the, at the lake. Like, we could walk, we could ride our bikes to this lake with a friend and, and, I didn't tell I didn't leave a note to where I was, but we never talked. So I was like, I don't, I don't, I leave all the time and I don't write notes. You know what I mean? Like, where's anyway, I, I know I was supposed to probably write a note, not trying to, yeah, it's probably my fault. <laughs> no, um, we got back from the lake. And I was at my friend's house and he gave me a belt in the street with a, like a leather belt. And then, so the neighborhood called child protective services and they came to the house and they saw there was no electricity, no water, and all that kind of stuff, and like put us in the group home, or put, yeah, like a safe house, and then put us in a group home. Which at, at, I, I thought that was the worst thing that ever happened to me—that they took me away from that. Did he fight for you? I, well, what he said was that he saw when we got into the group home eventually. Betty, you know, like my little best friend growing up, was our, what lived across the street from us, and his his parents were like, "Those kids aren't going to survive in that group home." Everybody's trying to figure out what to do with this, with, with us, you know, and so. They lived in an apartment. They managed my apartment complex and, like, had stuffed two more kids into that, that thing to help us out, you know. But then my dad's – I saw my dad, like, months later, and he said uh, – he said that we looked so happy there, you know. Because it was the first time we had, like, a television, a Nintendo, or, like, a, a, a dinner table, that kind of stuff, you know. So it, I, li I lived my whole life till sixth grade year on, my, on a couch. I lived on the couch in the living room, you know. So – he probably saw it. Uh, he was probably right. But at the time, I was like, get me out of here. Uh, you know, I want to go back home, you know. But, I mean, that's, 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 that's homo sapien probably in, in traumatic times. You know, they find a normality to it and, and start to miss it, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I, would, I don't want to be 
that kid that grew up. I want to be the kid that grew up and earned it. You know what I mean? I want I like I like that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I just don't know any other way. <laughs> did you, know you get, I mean? did you end up developing a relationship with your dad? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like 24 years old, we started hanging out. I took him I took him fishing a few times. Oh no, he came and saw me play. I wasn't even fishing. I didn't start fishing until I was like 26, like fly fishing. Then I started touring around uh, playing music, you know. So it was like Everything has been a whirlwind, no stop. Then, so, so, you know, I was doing a comic book thing. I was like, oh, people, uh, that's cool, you know. And then got a, a job offer for comic books. But I was, at the time, also playing string bass. Did you graduate high school? Oh, yeah. Okay, did you go to college? Yeah. Who paid for your college? Well, I got scholarships to play bass. Okay. I had scholarships to play bass all over the place. Like, I was heavy as shit. Like, got it. This makes sense. Because I would work my ass off harder than anybody else would, you know. And I had enough of a brain about me that... I mean, jazz is a very, you have to have jazz in your, in your life to, to even try to speak the idiom, you know, when you're a kid listening to fucking NWA and the cool shit, you know, but the jazz band was that thing where it was like, we were doing these competitions, like in high school, we got like jazz band of the year and like got sent to Europe to go play the 50th anniversary of, of World War II, you know, like we were doing heavy, I mean, like we were crushing, we were always crushing, you know. And so all the schools were like, oh, come. But I'm like, man, I'm a comic book artist. I just got a, you know, I just got a job. I'm out of here. <laughs> Not that I was trying to get out of anywhere. I mean, but anyway. So you but, got this comic book job. Was yeah, this well, fresh I out of college? I started drawing it. I started working on the big sheets for it. Okay. And then this guy, Dr. Larry Zagantz, had a doctorate from at Juilliard. And he's like, what are you doing, you idiot? You should be playing music. Come study with me. And I this, he brought this guy from South Africa. And that's, this guy would fly all the way to South Africa to study with this dude, you know. And I love jazz. I was, like, at that time, I was hooked as much as I could be, you know. And so I started studying with him. He's like, you, you, will not, you will not play all that heathen music. You'll only play with a bow, you know, all this kind of stuff for, like, two years, you know. Because he, he, saw, he saw that, like, like, this kid could do it, but he's got to have technique, you know. I mean, because that's, I mean, that's, like, everything in life, right? Like, you could fumble dick through everything in life but when you actually have to do it you're going to have to work on it until tech, proper technique is going to actually make an effect on you know what I'm saying right absolutely right. yeah and he's from Juilliard so he would have been he would have taken study very seriously oh yeah I mean he was like he was Dr. Larry's gaunt like he was a he's, he's the method book his homie he helped write the method book for string bass you know like He's heavy duty. So how old were you during all of this? This is early 20s. I graduated when I was 17. Okay. Um, high school. Yeah. And then you graduated college when you were probably... I didn't graduate college. I started going on tour. So I started studying with Larry. And right. Then, or Dr. Zagans. I'd never call him Larry. He'd probably smack me. Right. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so so yeah. So out of college, we had a, we, I went to a, a jazz community college where like the Mount Hood Jazz Festival is at and like... All those guys get pulled out and go on tour because that's what everybody's goal is. If you're a serious jazz musician, you gotta you gotta work. You gotta work. Like getting getting the degree is gonna somewhat push you towards education. Now, were you fishing throughout all of this? No, I fished in school a little bit because I remember that shit about my or the fishing with my dad. I remember that, and my homie was talking about the same thing. And we had we shared an apartment, and the fisheries department had a pond on there. So we bought like spinning rods and bobbers and and worms and stuff, and we go to uh, fishing between class. And our our keyboard harmony instructor loved trout, so we'd go between class, drink a bunch, fish, drag these fish into keyboard harmony. Our, our instructor was like, "Sweet!" <laughs> like be all stoked about it. That's that was that was the fishing of my my college life. How did fly <laughs> fishing start? It is such long stories. There's two. There's two like births of it. And I don't even know if they're appropriate for radio. One of them's not, maybe not appropriate for radio because I was young and I thought that ketamine was. I'd never done it before, so I tried it. It's a drug. Yeah, it's like a tranquilizer. Okay. Um, for horses, I think. Okay, so I'm hanging out. So I'm I'm a jazz kid, and I live with I live with ten dudes in Portland, Oregon, and we're playing like four times a week, making a hundred bucks. You know, fifty to hundred bucks every night. So that's so we're living pretty good. Yeah, and you know, I got ten dudes, and we're all into jazz. We don't we don't know people that don't study jazz for a living, kind of thing. You know, and we made this really cool scene in Portland at the Speakeasy, and like it was cool. Like, you know, remember the like the beat poetry stuff and MTV and stuff. Like MTV do, News did a little thing about it, and you know, about like our just like our little subculture jazz scene. Anyway, we'd hang out. <laughs> half of us worked at this pizza spot. Yeah. And 
uh, Rocco's Pizza on, on Burnside in Portland, just downtown, right across from Powell Books. And uh, there's this little wedge. It's just this little wedge in downtown, and we'd get free pizza and beer because, like, some homies work there, you know. So we're, I'm sitting there, and this dude pulls up in this beat-up car that I drink beers with every every day. You know, he's not a jazz kid, but, like, but you know, he's always hanging out in the same place. And he pulls up and like, who fly fish? Did anybody figure fly fish? And everybody's like, no, 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 no. What? That's so that's so random. Yeah. He just goes up to his his sidewalk bar and is like, he will, he's itching to go fly fishing, you know. And everybody's like, he's, he's very amped about it. It's like, come on, who did Anybody, anybody? And I was like, <laughs> no. And then I was like, and he just kept on asking. I was just like, I'll go. And so I hop in the truck or I hop in his car and he has these two plates of something on the back window. I'm like, what the hell is that? And so we go, and he's like, he's teaching me how to tie these lines or tie tie the knots and the flies on while he's driving, you know, a, a little bit sketchily, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, but he's in a hurry. This guy, all he wants to do is catch trout on the shoots right now, you know. And he just, I guess, he just didn't want to go along. I don't know. Anyway, so he gets it, and so he's like, you shake the rod like this, and you tie these knots like that. And I was like, you got it. I was like, I, I think so, because like. At, I didn't know anything, so I, I knew a lot more than I did a second, or, you know, before the drive, three-hour drive, four-hour drive. And then he has these, he, he scrapes this stuff off a plate, and he says, this is ketamine. It's like snorting a six-pack. I was just young. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know how. I didn't, I, that was the, that was the only, I, I smoked weed, but I, I, I didn't, I never done a, I never done a hard drug. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Jay's, Jay's fucking weird. So, oh, I'm so sorry about my mouth. That's okay. But everybody you know, thinks so weird and that there's some sort of drug thing involved. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not down with that. And then all of a sudden I was like, I, I was super, super drunk. And then he says, I remember it kind of like in weird motion, but he says, you go this way, I go that way. You go downstream, I go upstream. And then it, wip- it wiped. So then I'm looking for these fish. I don't have no idea what I'm doing. And, and I catch uh, squawfish. I, all of a sudden, the thing wears off. I was like, "That was crazy." That was like the the thing that was crazy, and then it, and, and then everything clicked, and I caught some squawfish, and I thought they were trout because I didn't, I, I just didn't know enough. And on the you fly know? too. I took pictures. Yeah, I took pictures and I brought it to him. He's like, he's like, did you catch anything?" I was like, "Yeah, I caught like four. And he's like, "Yeah, I caught six. And he shows me the picture. Like, man, I, what did I, what the hell did I catch? And he started laughing at me. That was squawfish. I was like, "I thought it was sweet." <laughs> <laughs> But then, but then I never touched it again. And then, the, like this is so. This is like part two. So I smoke uh, cigarettes like a, a, a chimney. And on these packages, there's these things called miles, and like the UPC code. And it's like five miles per package. So I was saving up all of those because you know I'm smoking. So and then all my a bunch of homies started giving them to me. So I had enough miles. I had enough miles to I don't know to get anything in the catalog. And but I'm just not a mail away guy. I've never been a, like I'm not good at like mailing stuff. So, I, but I do get this catalog. I'm looking at like salad spinner, the cigarette brand on it, and then the leather jacket with the cigarettes on it. And I was like, this all, this sucks. And then I see Marlboro fly rod and reel. And I was like, I went. I, that was cool when I caught those squawfish. Like that was cool as hell. But I had enough to get three of them. I had so because I'm not a mail away guy. So I, I have more than I could ever use because I'll never use them. And then, and then my homies come in. The like, Vine Femmes are playing in Portland, and you could only get in with Miles. I was like. Oh, I was gonna get this fly rod, but you know I was never gonna do it. And I just gave it. I got like fourteen of my homies into violent fence, and then I woke up the next morning. And there was like a blister pack fly rod from Wal- you know from like some some department store blister pack fly rod and reel. I was like, sweet. Wait, the guys got that for you? Yeah, because you had brought them to. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah. So then, what did you do? So I had no idea what I was doing, and so I went to a tackle store. And we have sturgeon in the water. You guys got sturgeon up there. Okay. Yeah, so you're in the Columbia Basin. Yeah. Yeah. Still in Washington. Washington. I was fishing in Oregon that day. Okay. But uh, but I was, yeah, I was probably living in Oregon too at that point. I went to a smaller creek on the coast. And like I go to the bait stop shop. I was like, okay, I know they tie stuff on a hook. So I bought some yarn. And then I, I was like, I want to catch a big-ass fish, so I better get a big-ass hook. So I got like a seven-aught barbless hook. Like for sturgeon, because they had, they, you know, it's just that's what they sell. That's the biggest, shiniest hook. I'm like, that's the one. <laughs> and I tie a bunch of yarn onto it, and then I put craft, crawfish and a smelly jelly. I didn't know that wasn't legit. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, sure, this makes sense to me. This is going to work. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and and fortunately or unf- unfortunately, it did. And like I went with my friend Nate to this creek, and we we caught chums and chinook. We caught a, a, a stack of them that day. I broke the rod the first day. We ran to the beach, 
uh, like to the department store at the beach, grabbed another rod, <laughs> came back out, and we caught a, a, a huge stack of salmon. And so I just stayed the night there, and then we, we were privy to some, some secrets of the salmon at nighttime. Fish him at nighttime. Uh, I have a whole theory behind this, and I don't know. If it was, Is that legal? In, in it was. It was. And, like, you know, honestly, the biggest mistake they made, like, there was just hoodlums down there. You know, math, and there was a dude at his house on the river was throwing a net over every night to get his, you know, salmon, all that kind of stuff. You know, needles and shit like that. And then we started hanging out there, and all that stuff stopped. And we'd see that, that warden. I understand they got a lot of junk on their plate, you know. They got a big ass zone, but I, we saw him like maybe once a month, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more often than that. But as soon as they kicked us out, it went back to it being. It just went straight back to it, you know. And you know, so it's interesting because salmon have rods and cones just like we do, and the, the the percentage of rods and cones dictates: do you see in color or do you see in black and white? Mm -hmm. And for us, we we keep our same rod to cone count at nighttime, so we don't see very well. We see kind of bits of silhouettes in, in, in darkness, you know, in moonlight or whatever. But salmon, that's like, that's how they hunt, like at nighttime. And they see like a black and white television, the squid move and the, the baits, and they see all that stuff move. And then besides that, another, another part uh, is during the day, you got dudes throwing lines over them and snagging them all day and like all this kind of stuff. And they're just like, they're just lockjaw. They don't want anything to do with it. You know, there's many theories, but I, I, I like salmon. It's definitely what started me on fly fishing. I didn't know what steelhead was. I didn't know what trout was. I was like, that thing's big. I want to learn how to catch it. You know? Okay. So you're still playing music, but fishing on the side. No, I sold everything. I got out of that. Out of um, music. Yeah. It was getting like, it was, there was some weird political stuff and, uh, political stuff and like, like who you play with. Was not it wasn't cool if you played with those guys, uh -huh. and the, I was like, those guys are my homies, you know. And then and then it started to get to you know that kind of shit. Where I, don't, I don't want any of that noise, you know. I can't be bothered. Anyway, and then I didn't have toys and shit when I was a kid. So like, when when I had that awesome day fly fishing, I was like, I sold everything and got a bought a shotgun, a fly rod, and a four by four. Yeah, <laughs> I came from a redneck town, and everybody hated you know everybody not everybody but like people were tough on me you know every day I got called wet back or you know something and I was poor you know so like like people were pretty tough on me you know and so the rednecks I was like I ain't down with those guys I ain't down with those guys and then I become a redneck I was like yeah they're my boys so, <laughs> but <laughs> right. we, we don't talk we don't we don't call people wet back wet backs around me you know the fishing industry how did that all happen you came on my radar with trout bums was that how this started no. So, I, you know, I moved, I moved into my, for, my forerunner and I started fishing every day and I had to figure out like some sort of income and I wasn't playing music anymore and I needed to drink beer at bars at least, you know, slightly regularly. And so I started karaoke and there would be like these purses, like you could win 50 bucks, you could win a hundred bucks, you could win. Once I won, uh, kind of an interesting story. Uh, there was called karaoke in Hollywood in Portland, Oregon. It was like a bracket that you worked through. And then if you won, you get to go karaoke in Hollywood, which was the pilot episode for American Flydle. But I did, I, one, I didn't want to go karaoke in Hollywood. I just wanted to win some cash, drink some beer, get gas and ramen to steelhead fish, you know. And so I won and got, got the money and I t took off. They're like, okay, you get, you get a free trip to Hollywood. I was oh. like, okay, title, meet you there. <laughs> and just brought it out to the <laughs> to go steelhead fishing for like four months. Because <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't need no money. I didn't have no bills, you know. Where do you enter the industry and was it on purpose? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I was fly fishing for like springtime is the best time for steelhead. The most vigorous, beautiful prime specimens of the steelhead enter in the spring. And in the Northwest, that's a, it's a good spot to be for it. Not as good as where you're from, but... But we'll take what we, we have to take what we get, you know. But then I start messing around with carp. This is a long time ago. And I know everybody says, like, oh, carp. I've, I've been fishing carp for always cool, all this kind of stuff. It was a long time ago. And, and there's this lake behind Ray Jeff Sports, Tim, Tim Ray Jeff's house, that had, like, a, a whole ton of carp. And I'd catch them on dry flies. I'd catch them on uh, – they were a difficult fish to catch. Like, in Colorado, these, these fish are extremely easy to catch. The easiest carp I've ever seen in the world. But there it was difficult, and we're dealing with the still water in a, in a, in a, if it rains, it blows out, and, uh, it, you know, all sorts, and I don't, uh, there's nothing written on carp, I can't be like, oh, you know, if they're cruisers, they do this, if they're spawning, they do this, anyway, so, but I figured it out, and so, I, and I'd break stuff every once in a while, I'd bring it back, 
to Rage S Sports, which right on the lake that I was fishing, I'd be like, yo, like, and he knew that I was a hood rat, so he's like, yeah, I don't have 35 bucks to, like, for the rod fee or something like that. Just give me one of the best, the best of tips, and I, you know, set me up, you know. And so anyway, so I was like, give me a job, give me a job. And he's like, because I read Curtis Creek Manifesto. Do you remember Curtis Creek Manifesto? I don't think so. It's like a comic book by Shelton Anderson that's like, how to fly fish. And that's the only thing I had, you know. And they're like, this guy, this guy was the greatest. And I took so much, but a lot of the stuff he said wasn't just straight law. But one of the things that is, is he says, if you think you're a good caster, you're just a big fish in a little pond. And so I was like, where's the biggest fucking pond? It's like the Ray Jeff brothers. And so I was like, anyway, so I'm like, I'm trying to, trying to get a job, like working for the dude and like keep on coming in. He's like, no man, no, we can't hire you. We don't, you know, we can't hire you. And then uh, one time I came, the last time I came out, I was like, I'll give you two bucks an hour if I can work here. He's like, I can't do that, but I'll just hire you. Here's the deal. If you want to go fishing, you go fishing. If you're not fishing, you come to work. Like, sounds like a deal. To do what? What was your role? Well, it started as like checking uh, rods, like if they, you know, how I would have to put together every single rod and give it a, a false cast and see if it's, it's everything was right. Like quality stuff. And then uh, I was working on somewhat internet marketing, like what forums said back in the day of certain lines, like there would be people that had never touched an airflow line. There are people that had never cast it before, but on a forum, they're like, yeah, that thing sucks. You know, so I'd be like, why? You know, or something. Or have you ever used one? You know, and then, and, you know, and that was a, it was kind of cool. Like, start messing around with some sort of concepts of marketing. You know, but but not like the main marketing shit that they were. You know, those guys, those guys, are, they do their thing. You know, and then we worked on some products and got to design some stuff. And then and then all of a sudden, music came back into my life. And like, Hank Williams Senior was like one of the only country dude that I just completely loved. You know, I grew up on him. I yeah. mean, I grew up on NWA, but my dad. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> but well, those two, exactly. I, oh, that's totally. so so ironic. Okay, I would listen. You know, if I was ever driving a beach as a kid or as like you know a young adult, I'd play Hank Williams Senior, and it, you know it just made me feel good. So all of a sudden, his grandson Hank Three is like, well, you know, come on tour, you know, open up for us uh, in this country band, and like, and so yeah, so what happened while I was at Rage of Sports? Uh, man, there's so there's there's such long stories, but an old homie is like. Dude, you should play country. I was like, I'm not gonna play country. He's like, oh, you should come play country. I was like, I, I don't think I'm down with it. And he's like, you'll you'll be down. These these people are great and the, the fans are great. So and, and it was great. You know, it was super fun. And then so I was all of a sudden I was playing music again in a country band, which is just so different than whatever I pictured in my life. So I told Tim, I was like, yeah, there's, they're doing this three month tour across the United States. I kind of I kind of want to go, you know. And and Tim's like, if you don't go, I'll fire you. And so I mean, like Tim's like my dad. He's it like great. Tim. As, as much as as much as a father as I can have, and he don't got no kids, you know, so he kind of took me under his wing. Because this dude, so he would, we'd go to like IFTD or these shows and stuff like that, and like, because I was a fish rat, I was I was like, living the forum, you know, and everybody he introduced me to was like, this is Jay. This is, if I want to know something about fly fish, and I ask him, and so everybody's like, what the hell is <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I you know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I had some chops. So that was like my first like entrance into it, you know? And then I ne I had no idea. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, like that, that dude, that dude reached out and, and grabbed a very confused boy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't, I don't think I was confused, but like, he's a very smart man. Holy smokes. So and, the, and the sweetest, kindest, like you get, you get to just yapping with him. He, he would have, he would have seen, he would have known what was going on. Yeah. 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 So I did that. But during that time, okay, so and a little bit before that, the Trout Bum Diary stuff started, and they wanted to use one of my songs. Oh, my goodness, it's clicking. Because at the time, who was that? That was Chris Owens. Brian Jill, Ryan Davey, Thad, and Justin, I think. Was Justin even there yet? No. Was Mikey the, there? No, at that time, maybe Justin wasn't there. Was no, Mi Mikey wasn't there. He wasn't there yet? He was, I think he did, because this was for the second, or for, so that was, the first film was Patagonia, and the next film was... Uh, New Zealand. Okay, so you're coming on not round, not the first round. You're coming on the second, the second. second well, concert. that's when we started communicating in the film tour and all that kind of stuff. Because they want to use your music. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, and I was like, and we were on tour at the time, and we were playing South by Southwest, and I talked to Brian. Jones, I was like, he's like, you know, can we use your shit? And I was, and I was like, meet me down at South by Southwest. We'll have a yap because I don't know what's going on, you know, and and he does, and and like we just have this epic time, and and like ended up talking a lot about fly fishing and then and then they were like come up come up on the next one and and figure this stuff out 
Coming up, Jay and I continue our conversation. Again, thank you to CrossCurrent Insurance Group for sponsoring this episode of Anchored. CrossCurrent is an insurance agency that is staffed by anglers who are dedicated to working solely with the fly fishing and outdoor industries, while also giving back to the causes that we all care about. CrossCurrent offers industry-specific products available for guides, outfitters, captains, manufacturers, retailers, and nonprofits, and part of their profits will always be committed to conservation. Go to www.flyfishinginsurance.com or find them on Instagram to learn more. It was groundbreaking at the time, too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it still is. Because then from there... Then you guys went to, what was three, Mongolia? Mongolia. I didn't go. That's when I was on the Hank 3 tour. Okay, so you did, you went on tour with Hank 3. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I did the tour, and those boys went to Mongolia, and then I'm looking at the footage back home, and I'm like, I really fucked up. Because there was so much drugs and stuff on that tour that, like, I was mother-henning, because I start to worry about my homies, I start to worry about people that I don't even know. And then, like, instead of me having a fun time and, like, and, like being like, this is rad, you know, I'm like... Oh, I gotta worry about that guy down. I gotta worry about that guy down. What's gonna happen to this guy today? And it's like I'm just a mother hen. That's not me. That's not like that's not my bag. But I knew I knew that I was done with music. Now, did they do a fourth one? When did they do Metalheads? Then we that- did Metalhead. Yeah, and that but that during that time we started the film tour. That's so like nice. like all of this wave of change is is happening on these films and the film tour and then, you know just it it was cool to see fly fishing change from a certain age and income level. And, and, and ethnicity and even to the shirt to what it is now and there's like there's some hip kids running through there you know like that think that fly fishing's bitching I'm like I'm down <laughs> it was a you know, major transition it's, a, it's pretty pretty impactful I don't think it was people cool understand the, the impact of it until I'm until like we're all old and I think they're gonna look at us like the bones brigade I hope because I was like so stuck on the bones brigade <laughs> you know I think I think that the appreciation is definitely very much already there. We talk about it all the time on the show. So the show is, like I said, it's a it's a it's a way to archive our history, and the trout bum era is constantly oh, re- cool. referenced. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it uh, for be. me, th- to me, that's when it's it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm I'm too young to really know what it was like before then, but I was there long enough to watch it change in a big way. Um, and, and just hear the complaining. I mean, it, it caused a ruckus. The older guys were really upset about it. I remember it. that, man. A lot of them were. I mean, some of them were supportive, but a lot of them were not. You know, and, and I think that you guys really um, started that shift. That pissed me off, like, pretty greatly. There's some there's some older dudes that, like, have, have offended me in, in that. And all, I, all they taught me, though, is that I won't be that way when the next people come up, you know. That's right. That's right. Okay, so then from there... Uh, what was your next move? Because you confused me, and now that I'm sitting down with you, it all makes sense. Because <laughs> I was like, "What the hell is he doing with his career? He's fishing. Now he's doing tattoos. Now he's doing like I felt like you were always dabbling in something." And I get it now. You just you you're talented in a number of arenas, and you are a little scattered, and that's totally fine. And do you feel like your career has kind of showing that well i mean i don't think it's the next because i've been doing it for a little while the pig farm Inc. yeah so what was it because this is what my my perception of it was you guys were going and getting tattoo like, you find someone's tattoo that was ugly or that they didn't want worst tattoo we can find worst tattoo you could find yeah. and then you would pay i guess to get it removed yeah they've got sponsored to get it removed right but then you took it on we didn't know how to tattoo and then we tattoo them on us and then people and, and and other people want those tattoos now it's it's interesting but what was the how does it connect yes well i mean it and can i see one <laughs> oh. like what's the worst one you've got on you i mean i don't got any bad ones oh, okay the... so you didn't take any of the bad ones no i mean oh, i, I took them you... all but i don't think they're bad uh, <laughs> you oh, know? I gotcha, I gotcha. So, so this one, it's this guy showed up to a, uh, it's a dick chicken. So it's like, a ch- a, and then <sighs> I have him, I had him put rocket, rocket, like, you know, explosions underneath it. That The original one just looked like the dick chicken, but I had him put the rocket stuff on. Wow. Um, okay, you have to explain. I'm totally, now you've lost me. Okay, so okay. so first of all, so you're, you're, ha- you're happy with putting those tattoos on you. I lo- every single, every single one of them has like, is a story, is, is such a. Okay, so example. So we, 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 the whole point of it is to throw, is to build communities. We go and we do, we did it in our community where we build events 
get everybody together. And but I knew how big the fly fishing industry was because we sold the top selling DVDs of all, you know of all time for that stuff. And that and I also knew what everybody at IFTD said every year was that we're shrinking after after uh, River runs through it, we're shrinking. And so through all these lessons I've learned of all this stuff in life, well, you know, which will, the number one lesson that I think needs to be said and that people need to teach teach other people is do good. Because before I was just trying to survive and I was like, I'm a musician, I'm gonna, I'm uh, like, I'm all these things that is for my own ego, it's for me, for like, I needed to eat, I need to feel love, I needed to feel that shit. And then eventually you find out that's not the answer, you know, and, and, and to find the way I see shit, the way I the way I see it is that, like, how do you feel about my uncle Daryl? How do I feel? I do yeah. not. I do not know your. You don't know Darryl. my uncle Daryl because you've never been exposed to my uncle Daryl. Right. That's kind of like how the kids are right now with the outdoor world, is that they're playing video games and they're playing cell phones and that's that's their interactions and they don't know my uncle Daryl and they don't know the outside. We're screwed, right? We're screwed because I mean, not my uncle Daryl. He was, you know, changed my life. But like, but the outdoors, that's look, look through the, that span of the conversation we've had. And it, it all came down to that creek and me wanting to just be out there and, and connect when everybody else I was in the group home was in jail and, you know, all these troubles and all this kind of stuff, you know. So anyway, we go through some stuff. I, I went through a divorce and I was like, but I was working on geofish at the time. And a homie Matt calls and he's going through a divorce, too. And like he was not. It sounded really bad, and I was like, well, I, was, I was thinking to myself, because I had one of my best fishing, fishing friends shot himself in the head, and that made me very, very sensitive to when people have any sort of talks around, you know, not making, you not wanting to, you know, live or whatever, and I was like, so why do I want to live? And that's because I was working on a project, and so I was like, Matt, let's, let's, let's do a project, and, and we'll make fly fishing communities across the United States. And, and, and Matt was like, okay. And I fuck pulled him out of that darkness and me out of the darkness. Cause like it was the toughest thing I ever went through in my life was, was the, the, that divorce, you know, how long so, were you married for? I don't know. I think six years, but maybe four or maybe seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not good at that kind of stuff. That's okay. You don't yeah, have I'm to not be good at that kind of stuff. But it divor- was awesome. Divorce I say it was awesome. is hard. Oh, it was so brutal. I mean, it has it to so be brutal. right. So brutal. And now I got to chop. I got to edit. Geofish, that first movie where we took the took a truck converted from vegetable at my house and drove all the way to we drove to Peru eventually, you know. So you did that after the divorce or during the divorce? We filmed it we while filmed, you were married. We filmed from from Vancouver, Washington to uh, Panama while I was married. Okay, can you explain to people what that film was? Well, it didn't turn it didn't get turned into films. This is the one that went was sold to television. Yeah, well, so. It was all coasted and out. It was like, let's let's do seven continents, seven years, you know. And so we're like, so we're trying to figure out how to do this and all, you know all that kind of stuff. And we start just booking. We got we got the truck now, and now we're we're swapping used vegetable oil for fuel. And we're like, we can book a long time. And how many guys were there? Four of us. Okay, so you guys got a vehicle. You're working with Costa and Al at the time, and and, and Patagonia at the time, and 3M. Yeah, right. Okay, and then so what was the plan? How long was this trip supposed to take? Well, we didn't know. And you're driving from where? From Washington to Washington to we're trying to get to Tierra de Fuego. Okay. So anyway, so I'm coming back every few months, and 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 we're working on the film, trying to get all this st- stuff, and we put out that first film, Geo Fish, where we drive from there to Belize, or from home to Belize, and and uh, and like uh, we got all this interest from like Nat Geo and you know a bunch of people were like, hey, what's the story with this thing? What's the story with this thing? And then we started getting into all these negotiations about trying to figure out like what do we you know how you know, we wanted to make sure that I mean, it's tough from going to making films to going to TV. A oh, it's TV a situation. very different world, totally different world. And the, the creative control of something is very for me is more important than the money and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really deal with bullshit because I, I don't I don't deal with phones and, and that kind of stuff, you know. So. During that time, we were negotiating these contracts, trying to figure out how to make everything like how can any how can we all be happy with the situation, like the bass guys and Costa and and all these huge sponsors that weren't in the fly fishing industry. And this is where I think it is it matters, and this is, is you know somewhat historic. This is the first time like it was a fly fishing 
thing that wasn't sponsored by fly fishermen that wasn't sponsored by fly fishing companies for you know for the most part you know right. or you know not i mean costa it was costa gopro like mountain dew budweiser carhartt you know like like stuff that was like bass like they're like let's 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 do something about exploring bass fishing as opposed to um just like you know the competition stuff now this went to television though right no geobass didn't no that was like that was distributed to all those big sponsors but motive did yeah okay so uh, oh yeah no motive so yeah and then it 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 you know it, it did its thing and then all of a sudden we <laughs> it's kind of funny this guy now just put yourself in my situation um this guy sends me an email and says my name is brad johnson google me and so the first thing I do is not answer that and throw it, oops, and throw it in the trash. And then... That's um, all he sent in an email? Yeah. Yeah. And But yeah. that did. <laughs> and he did, like, Arrested Development. My name is Earl. All the way back to, like, Coach and Major Dad. Like, the guy. The guy's a, uh, a genius, and he's been hitting in Hollywood for, like, 30 years, you know? Right. He's like, I want to do a story about Obsessed Fly Fisherman, and I Google searched. And I found you guys. I'm like, what do you want to do? Anyway, so the long process it goes, and eventually, uh, by surprise, it's like, I was working on a project in Nepal for an indie fly thing, and and I get this message of like, yeah, I don't plan. I want to roll now. What do you think? And it turned into that kind of stuff, which was not. It wasn't my goal in life. That wasn't my goal in life. You know, that was more. You know, I would like to take this time in my life to like hit my missions. What are your missions? Well, that's that whole stuff that relates to the outdoors and the, the battle of the it's, it's us versus the cell phones and video games, you know. And then the indie fly stuff is. Have you, you know anything about indie fly at all? Not enough. It, and just assume my list, my listener doesn't know anything. Well, it's Al, Al and some boys did some stuff down in Guyana where they. Is this the thing with Oliver White? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that became an organization where, and you know, so the, this village never had income coming into it. And now it's got, uh, 85% of that village is employed and they own it. They own it. Like they own the the business, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We just help, help them along on that stuff. So I've been working on projects like the last five years up in the Wind River and Indian Reservation and then in Nepal for the last couple of years. But there's a couple other projects. There's, so I travel a lot, right? Because of all the shows and all that, that stuff and like, you end up making uh, lifelong friends and you see how you can make some huge impacts uh, on that kind of stuff. But now it's just having enough time and then doing a show. doesn't give you very much time to do much of that. And then I got the pig farm stuff. So uh, you're still doing that? The pig farm stuff? Like the pig farm ink stuff? Yeah. Okay. So no, does that go to television? That's what I want. No, no. That's no. just on YouTube? Yeah, but it's not. It's it, Pig farm is a community. It's built is like communities. And so... And we want to get people that aren't fly fishing to come check, give a, give a gander at it. So we throw events that are fun that make people say, that make people get into fly fishing. So this guy showed the guy with the dick chicken, he showed up to one of the iron flies. It was like iron chef means fly time, but really it's the first challenge is to teach someone that's never tied. So I, okay, check. So, so I get, I get up at the, we always, we always do the iron fly in a bar. We get the table set up in the middle of the bar and I get up to the crowd and I say, we're looking for the worst tattoo in this room. If anybody's can beat ours, we'll remove it for, for, for free and tattoo it on us. So now everybody's listening and people are bringing up their bad tattoos. Everybody is having a chuckle and, you know, having a good time. And I, and I say, and we're doing a fly tying contest over here and no one, no one listens, no one gives a shit, you know. And we go back to the bad tattoos, everybody's laughing. And then the people that come for the challenge, I say, okay, your first challenge is to teach someone that, that's never tied a fly to tie a San Juan worm first winner usually gets a pair of Kosas. And so they race up out of their seats and get those people in. And then those people have never tied a fly. They've never thought of fly fishing in their life or anything. And now they're having the best time. They're having a, a, a real original experience with some outdoor kids that are pretty cool. And then all the people behind them want to get in on that too. And Clever. then we take that through the, we take that through the world or through the nation, you know? So we, yeah. And so we got, we got this other one called get trashed where, where, you build teams of however many you want, and for each bag of garbage you pick up, it's worth 50 points. Each thing that doesn't fit in a bag is worth 50 points, but each new angler that catches their first fish on your team is worth 25 points. And so you want to stack your team with new anglers, and then you go pick up the river, and those guys are picking up the river and learning to fish, and everybody's giving them this great attention of like and learning and all this kind of stuff. And when they catch a fish, people fucking celebrate, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
and because they're getting the big points and like and and these they caught their first fish and so people party their face off you know it's like it's like it's cool you know it's cool and then and then we have one called American Flightle where that's my that's my favorite one uh, it's one of our most successful too uh, we only did it we've only done it in a few cities but we do it in my hometown we used to do it in my hometown for like two years but it's just fly tying night with with uh, karaoke. And so, what ha- you know, I, you know, in my hometown, we got a couple of Filipinos, including myself. And I don't know if you know if you've heard of the stories of how Filipinos karaoke, but uh, you know, it's legendary. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. The, the Filipinos love karaoke, but so same, same with my homie Nikki. And so we'll get there and we'll start tying flies, and all the people will show up to tie flies. And we'll sing songs, and then the people that are singing songs that didn't come for fly tying, like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" We're like, "Oh, we're tying flies, check it out." And then, and then the next thing you know, they're like, "Oh, well, you know." How do I get a rod? Like, what's the story on that? You know, it's cool. It's cool. It's like. You have more projects than anybody I think I've ever I, met in my I life. I think so. And then you stack on top of that, oh, that me and a homie lease a farm. Tell me about this farm. You told me about this flat when I saw you. Was it last year that you told? Yeah, last year you told me about this farm. And uh, and you've done it. So did you go out and buy a farm? Are you no, renting a just farm? just leased. Originally it was by this company, Mother Love Herbal Company. And not to be crude, but they make. Um, stuff for uh, breastfeeding women to to um, create more milk or to like not hurt, and so. Oh, you mean like ba- uh, solved to put on your nipples? Yeah, called yeah. nipple cream. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used it religiously when I was feeding because you get blisters really bad. Yeah, yeah. So for like six years, I was living in the in an airstream in my back of my homie's backyard. I love airstreams. Do you still have one? No, it, it was his. I okay. was just kind of borrowing it for six years. Yeah. I told him I'd never move out. I told him I'd never move out, but I did. Okay. I shouldn't have. I'm moving back, Mark. Okay, so the farm. Yeah, so they wanted to start growing some herbs uh, locally because they were hard to source. The goat shrew makes increases lactation, and uh, and they have to buy it. And to get it certified organic, they have to buy it from some spots and sometimes uh, from Eastern Bloc Europe, and they can't get it sometimes. And it's like the number one, and it's the number one product in two of their top selling products. Yeah, they have to grow so their own. So they start own. farming it, you know? Yeah. And then, but it only took like two acres. And this farm that they leased was like 120 acres. Oh. It's 160 now. And uh, they hired my homie RJ to run it, Sporty Dove. And then, and then it got to be just too much work to, for two acres that that they 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 wanted us to lease it. And so, so we leased it. We've been leasing it for the last few years. And to operate to operate it on a whole system, you need animals crapping on ground. Uh, you know, for an organic system, the more manure you can get on the ground. So we had to s- stage up the the livestock production to make sure all those fields get fertilized, and then those and those fields are actually. So we sell beef, pork, and lamb. Okay, so you're not talking a, a, a farm. I mean, you're talking cattle. No, it's like it's thirty five thirty five cattle a year, or thirty five cattle total. We probably sell four or five a year, and then we do fifty pigs a year. We do a, we. I would probably do 20. We have 50 pigs at most of the time in different stages of growth in different pasture. And then uh, 50 sheep. But we don't sell 50 sheep. We sell like just the the lambs, uh, the male lambs. Yeah. I thought you were running a hobby farm. Because my my place in BC, I do have a neighbor. They They live a ways down. And they're the best neighbors in the world. And they watch my place when I'm gone. And when they're gone, I watch their hobby farm. And they only have chickens and ducks, 10 sheep two horses and a donkey and yes yeah, it yeah and a couple dogs and that keeps me but i can't leave i mean yeah. it keeps me smoking oh, busy how do you do that dude, and then we have to grow the feed for them yeah well how do you manage and is it just you and one well, other guy RJ, no and this guy robbie okay there's robbie caps came from alabama like when i started doing that show like i don't have anybody that can i don't have anybody in my life that could do this the farm I just don't, yeah they couldn't mean? be they couldn't they couldn't take they couldn't be a farmer you know that i just don't know anybody that's into it everything has done a full circle back i get it now you this is like in the elevator you were saying you hadn't had time alone in as long as you could remember yeah because i've been doing that show with the boys and yeah. then and then the pig farm like right before that we did like a month-long pig farm we did like four we did a, a ton of monster pig farm tours that like it's just been so long since i was like you know, everybody needs it. Everybody needs that time, but I'll burn so hard on both ends. That's why I take all that stuff on. You Do know, you have kids? I got it. No. You no. need to go. Go no, like, like, you need to go. Go where? Anywhere. 
I know I got to get done with this, and then I mean because yeah, it's the other always things, the, next like, project, in, the next project, the next project. People die, you know. With the, it's indie fly stuff. People can people can die. Like if I don't get on stuff, if I don't stay on stuff, then I'm you know I'm in trouble. It's like the Five River system. Like, I, I don't give them enough. Do you know the, anything about Five River stuff? No, but I think that I know a lot about taking seven days to disappear in the yeah. bush and not talk I to mean, anybody. I need to. I, I got this TP. Would you like the key self. to my cabin? Because I will give it to you in Smithers, and you should just go. I can't. I can't get up there right now. That would be impossible. But but at, at, at some point, yeah. That would, I mean, obviously Smithers rules. Like that's one of my f- the happiest places on earth is that whole that whole state or province. Province. What's next for you? Uh, well, I'm I'm done. I think I'm done with the farming thing. Yeah, we're trying to find somebody to take over, but like so much stuff has suffered. Like. The progress with the show and the farm, progress on the Indie Fly projects, Five Rivers projects, and Pig Farm. It's been really tough to get out. Still get out to do some of it, but I don't get to do much much of it. And like this is after that show, the Fisher Die stuff, which I'm just saying that because I feel like I'm supposed to say that. What um, the Fisher Die? Which is what is that? That's the TV show on Animal Planet. But oh, is that what they ended up calling it? I didn't name it. I wanted it to be called Wet Dreams. Oh, okay, um, I can understand why it wasn't. Yeah, right, right, okay. right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and that was cool. That was, that was, that was awesome. Worked with a lot of, a lot of really cool people, you know, but, uh, but that's, I met, I met, um, I met people around the world that I'll be best friends with forever. Yeah. And if I'm working a farm and doing a TV show, I don't get to see them. It's true. It's a lot of work. I want to just tour for the, the rest of the year, do a YouTube channel and, uh, throw pig farm events, work on indie fly stuff and, and get out to those people and try to develop like some sort of fisheries for those indigenous people that have changed my life. You know, that I've like, cause you go out in the jungle for, you go out in the jungle for two months with somebody that you met, you met previously. And like, you, we go into these village and we'll drink for a few days, like just hang out and, and tell people what we're doing. No one gives, no one cares because it's like, they don't know what fly fishing is. They don't know what ice is, you know, all this kind of stuff They they don't care about that world. And then you bring them out in the jungle, you show them some stuff about ice fishing. They help you survive through all this stuff with snakes. And then you become best friends with them. After a while, you got your crew, and like after we leave, we're all gone, you know, and they're back to, to some pretty tough existences sometimes. If there, is, if there is some chances to close some of those up, you know, have time to actually put real deal work, not have to worry about a farm, not have to worry about a TV show. Just get the, get the stuff that that matters to me most, you know, and, and live on the road. I, I need, I don't, I'm not, this is the first time I had a house in a long time, you know, and living at, a, it was nice. It was cool. I was ready for it, you know, get away from the bars and like do hard, hard labor and, and think it's a lot of thinking, you know, which I love. I, I, I mean, you know, this is one of my things. That sort of life is not easy, but is it rewarding? Are you happy? Oh, it's the coolest thing. It's like, I couldn't, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't like, that was like my university to me, you know, I, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade it. And maybe some other day I'll do it. But while like the show gives you, it gives me a certain th- forum, the, my history or, you know, like all my stuff gives me a certain th- forum while I have that forum and I'm able, I got to try to get to every community and, and like, and teach, or, you know, like show everything that I've learned from those situations. If that goes down or, you know, if that, I got to strike while, while I have a nice forum, you know what I mean? Yeah, but remember, you can't strike at all if you're not here. I know. I, the only thing that could could get me, well, there's, the main thing that could get me is cigarettes, but I think I got like 20 years. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> I don't anything. know. And, no, I don't got 20 years. I don't got 20 years in that. You know, you're right. I know. I got to take care of myself. You do. But in your head, I mean. In your head. Yeah, I got to take care of my head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have more time. I'm going to have more time after this week. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, I will. I will. I'm going to do it. Um, well, listen, I'm going to wrap this up. Is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me? Um, can I say thank you to uh, two sponsors that have helped me live this thing? And it's really, it's Al Perkinson from Costa. He was at Costa for a long time that he really made all of that, th- this stuff possible. And yeah, he's, he's, a, he's like my mentor and like my other dad, you know, he's a great guy, huh? He's like when he speaks, his 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 speaking is always very valuable to me, you know, and and then Sims too has has helped out helped us out a lot on the pig farm and and getting that stuff done. So 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 and, you know there's a ton of companies that I would 
I just don't want it to turn into that kind of thing, and and I, I owe it to those guys to, to 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 say it. So anyway, yeah. Well, thank you for to them for keeping you around. It makes it possible, <laughs> right? You it know, does. It, it helps helps make all this all this stuff is expensive, <laughs> extremely expensive to do. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank okay, you yeah, so thank much you so for much. coming on the show. Mm-hmm.